Welcome into Lonely Town of Killers podcast with Jimmy and Derek. I always say we got a special guest. This week I'm going to say we have a blast from the past. Have a guest uh, that I was pretty good friends with uh, for, a, for a good period of time, at least felt like a good period of time. Uh, catching up a little before the show. I don't think we've talked in over a decade, face to face, anyways. But that's all about to change, and you're all about to hear it. So uh, we got uh, Andy Fish. You going by Andy George? What do we want to call you today? Uh, I I go by Andrew now. That's my more mature name. Andrew. So <clears throat> we got Andrew Fish here with us. Andrew. Here uh, with Derek and James. <laughs> I'm gonna have to relearn names. I'm there's not a more mature version of Derek that I'm aware of. Mr. De- Mr. Derek. Mr. Derek. Daryl. Maybe I could be Daryl. Is that? Could be Daryl. I guess whatever I decide to be. I'm with James and Andrew. <laughs> Two guys I've never met before. <laughs> and we're about to do a podcast here. So, uh, if, if, if you need to call me Andy. I can, if it slips out, I don't I mean can, any offense by it. I can live. I'm a little worried about calling you Andy because people are going to hear this and think we're talking to the Andy from Andy, You're a Star. We don't want to confuse you I don't with know him. that we don't know that that's... Not okay. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get That's to that. Has never been confirmed or uh, that I've heard. Confirmed or denied. We'll, we'll get to that, I hope. I mean, I did quit track two times in high school, so it's pretty likely that <laughs> it might have been about me. <laughs> the strong possibility that Andrew was Andy. <laughs> so, Andrew, how it's are fine. you doing? I'm, no, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. As you mentioned, it's been been a pretty long time since <laughs> since we've... Seen one another face to face, but it's good to see you both. Uh, we went to high school together. Uh, Andrew's from. Would you say you're from Nephi, or you spent some time in Nephi? You graduated from Trap High School. You, you know, I don't. I don't even know how to answer that question because I. It, I don't feel like I'm from Nephi because I mean it's the place that I lived the least amount of time of anywhere I've lived in my adult life. I mean, when people ask me, I've from Salt Lake, because that's where I spent most of my life. But I was from Nephi for five years-ish, plus like a handful of periodic month stretches after that. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you when did you come to town? When did you show up in Nephi? Well, according to the, uh, the, the Brandon Flowers timeline, I showed up when he was in 10th grade. So I moved to Nephi summer after my 8th grade hell year in Orem, Utah. And yeah, attended attended high school and lived in Nephi for about a year after, after we graduated before I moved to Argentina for a, a short period of time. Um, and I think I lived maybe like six months in Nephi after that. Which was a lot of boring information. <laughs> well, thinking about your time in Nephi, we've talked to a lot of people who move there and feel like they get treated differently because they're move-ins. And when I think of your story, maybe it's because we were friends. It didn't feel like you had a hard time making friends there. Is that what's your perception <laughs> of your of your time there? Maybe my maybe perception we'll... differs. <clears throat> well, no. So like that that opening. You know, I don't know how you refer to it. Like those kind of opening pieces at the beginning of the Pressure Machine album, you know, when the guy's like, you know, like my brother was tied to a flagpole 
I don't know why that accent came out. That probably wasn't fair to that person. Sorry to whoever you are. Anyways, that definitely, and, and, you know, scattered throughout the album, there are, you know, just different mentions of like, you know, the, the one song where it's like culture is king. Like I very much felt like an outsider right when I moved in. And I mean, the reason why you perceive things differently is because we became friends partway through senior year. And, and at that point, like, I just kind of gained, like, a whole big friend group, whereas previously I had usually averaged, like, two friends, sometimes three. Um, but, yeah, my, you know, initially moving in, I think I remember, like, I remember liking Nephi for a minute because I remember going to, like, the first high school dance that I went to. And I can't even remember their names, but there were a couple of girls that danced with me. And I think, like, I'd never had a girl that, I mean, I'd only been to, like, church dances or, like, like a junior high dance before that. But just never had a girl paying attention to me. And so, like, I don't know, it kind of, in my first, you know, year, like, there were parts of that that... Um, I was like, this, this is great. Like I'm making friends. And then some of those friendships kind of drifted apart and mostly it just felt like I butted heads with like cowboys and cooler people than me. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I would say freshman, sophomore, juniors weren't super fun for me. Like I definitely felt like people had these long established friendships and, and, you know, as you know, like, my stupid last name became funny again suddenly. <laughs> so what about, you said about the culture is king thing. What, how did that impact you? What, what was, how was the culture different in Nephi than, than Orem? I mean, I guess the, the, maybe the biggest pieces were, I don't know, it just, it felt like, if I look back on the friendships that I did end up making, they were mostly with kids who also didn't seem to fit in super well. I don't know. It just, people, it, it just never felt like I could break into any like bigger friend group just because like, I don't know. I also just kind of dressed differently and was like into, I mean, initially into like skater clothes, which then kind of morphed into like my punk rock phase. And uh, <laughs> like, I mean, nobody, like, nobody dressed that way. At least didn't feel like anybody dressed that way. Like, nobody liked the music that I liked. And, you know, I, like, didn't play sports. And so, I don't know. I just didn't... It just felt hard to connect with, with anyone. So, you talk about a punk rock phase. <laughs> are, are you out of that phase? Because last I, last I <clears throat> talked to you, I think we were still, still there. I'm mostly out of that phase. Uh, like, I still like a lot of, you know... the bands that I listened to at the time. I don't listen to anything new that any of those bands put out, except for No Effects. I still, like, I follow them religiously and actually become a No Effects uh, vinyl collector. <laughs> so I have, like, multiple stupid copies of different color versions of albums. And um, But that's, you know, other than that, that's as far as my punk rock loyalty went. So my, my little list of uh, things to talk to you about, I have music kind of at the top. When you did get to be friends with us, however that happened... We did have a connection, and you were into your music. You're the you're the guy that got us to the Warp Tour, 
Uh, there's a lot, a lot of good memories that come driving around with you, listening to punk rock that I'd never heard of before in my life. You were bound and determined I was going to be your little <laughs> punk rock disciple, which I think I disappointed you on. But uh, I think there was a connection there somewhere. Yeah, I've, I've forgotten all about this. Yeah, I, I do remember trying pretty hard to convert you. And I, I, I would say you probably converted more than most. I think, like, Jimmy, Jimmy, like, converted at least to like certain areas of punk rock in I think particularly like in our post high school time um, like I still remember CDs that that you'd burned and that you you'd figured out some way to like bleep out the swear words <laughs> and it like drove me crazy <laughs> like when I, those editing skills have come in handy with the podcast <laughs> as, as I would suspect they did um, I <laughs> like there, there are just a handful of songs. Like, uh, do you remember the band Melancholin? Uh huh. Um, yeah, there's a couple of songs that I can't not remember. Like, your very jarring editing job. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> cut them right I out. To them. Yeah. Skip a beat. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, I think like it was really only you and Jimmy and Adam. Adam Ware. I think you guys were kind of the only ones that like really liked more than like one or two songs. In, in the punk rock realm. But yeah, I tried pretty hard to convert everyone. Well, as you were talking about being the only one dressing up, you know, like a skater or whatever, I was thinking of what we've heard about Brandon Flowers' time in Nephi and how he liked different kinds of music than anybody else. I don't think he ended up converting anybody else to, to what he <laughs> liked, which is I think is different than yours, but it's pretty well documented with Killers fans that he was introduced to that type of music from his older brother. Hmm. But how did you get into... Punk rock. How did you get to know these bands before the internet was really what it is today? Yeah. So after I'd, after I'd moved to Nephi, um, my best friend from Orem, I moved from Orem, um, Gray Today, if you recall that name. I remember him. <laughs> he and and some of my other friends, they, they ended up getting into skating right after I moved out. And, and then also, along with that, eventually punk rock. And so... Uh, they were they were the bad influences on me that that Debbie would occasionally let me go and visit, but didn't really like when I did, because <laughs> every time I would come back with you know new new interests and hobbies that I mean to like my very straight laced parents uh, you know they weren't fans of, but also looking back was also you know pretty innocent as far as trouble you can get into, but yeah it was just through those those friends and and I think like. I don't know. There's a part of me that that liked feeling like I liked a thing that nobody else liked. While we're on music, I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of your influence and your influence on me, because one of my earliest memories about you and music is—I mean, it's probably not earliest, but just one of the the strongest memories I have. Well, I remember at one point you were a Pearl Jam guy. That was probably before the punk phase. And then I also remember, well, my first concert when I was 16 was, was Smashing Pumpkins. And I thought I was a Smashing Pumpkins fan because I knew a couple other songs, you know. <laughs> and I remember you saying something about Jimmy Chamberlain. I had no idea who you were talking about. And you're like, oh, my gosh. You call yourself a, a Smashing Pumpkins fan. You don't even know the drummer's name. And, you know, now that we interact with a lot of Killers fans, if someone says there's a Killers fan, they don't know who Ronnie Venucci is. It's kind of a, you know, they, you lose a lot of credibility real fast. And so I know, I know you you were into music a lot more than me and you influenced me a lot. But I think if I'm remembering right, 
and I don't know how, how well these mix, but there there's some punk bands that I like because of you. I think that kind of morphed into some ska. Um, we've talked about the Aquabats on this podcast a lot. It's because of Andy <laughs> that I knew who the Aquabats were. But then after the ska phase, there was a, well, AFI is, is a band I still really like that I guess they're they're more on the punk side. I they're, they started they're a little there darker, and then yeah. kind of drifted away from there, but yeah. But then a few years later, it went into like <laughs> it went into the Jack Johnson phase, and as did we all. <laughs> well, I didn't. I hated Jack Johnson. That's why I remember how much you liked him. I just want to hear some more about how how that evolution happened to go from from no effects to Jack Johnson. I had a I have had a weird musical evolution in my lifetime. I guess it was, I feel like it was Adam, Adam Ware that I think introduced me to, to Jack Johnson. And um, I, I, I think what actually happened was I, I, I got a guitar because, you know, I wanted to be able to like woo, woo <laughs> babes around a campfire with, you know, acoustic renditions of... I don't know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Which can play that song. <laughs> but so I I got a guitar and and actually I think the hold on, I need a, I need to backtrack because I've now figured out my path to why I got to Jack Johnson. Okay. So I, I had a do you do you remember Norma? Mm-hmm. Did you meet Norma? Yeah. I feel like she introduced me to Kalai. And which he was a local artist that was like, I don't know, he played the guitar like nobody I've ever seen. But he's he's kind of a just a mixture of acoustic and I don't know, weird. Like he read some weird stuff. But like I loved seeing him live, and so that just that was kind of the first time you know since early early high school that I listened to something slow <laughs> and, and liked it. Um, and so that just kind of opened me up to, you know, then just Jack Johnson and like embarrassingly Jason Mraz and, uh, like, um, what's his name? Like John Mayer and whatever. Um, so I got into some kind of like embarrassing, embarrassing artists. And then when I moved, so I, I had a, do you remember Tiffany Ska? Yep. (laughs) So this was a person that your information Derek and listeners this is a person I met on AOL chat and lied and told my family that I met at EFY um, especially for youth like church summer camp basically I thought you met her at EFY you lied to me too <laughs> I lied to everyone <laughs> yeah I lied to everybody I just didn't realize I never came clean with you um, but you probably did but yeah li- well I don't know but I lied to lied to my family because I don't know you weren't allowed to meet people on the internet at that at that time and uh but after so she ended up going on a mission and then moved to Provo afterwards and so in like the probably like around 2007 or 8 I think um she'd moved back to Provo and she was into like indie rock and and I was I'd moved out of Provo and and moved up to um, Utah State because I was just tired of like the stifling culture of Provo and just like needed a change and this was kind of about the time I was starting to feel like real uncomfortable in um, 
BYU wards because as a you know unmarried twenty four year old I was like just pathetic and sad at that point because <laughs> like everyone was like I mean you're just not supposed to be twenty four and unmarried in a BYU ward um, and and so when I I ended up not really liking Utah State because I ended up moving into a, an apartment complex called Old Farm which unbeknownst to me was nicknamed Little Provo. And so I like, <laughs> tried to escape Provo and moved into Little Provo in Logan. <laughs> and, um, but on some like visits back down, you know, back home and back down to Utah County during that six months that I spent at Utah State, um, just started connecting with some different people, with, with Tiffany and, and some of her friends. And, and they were just like kind of cool and like dressed cool, as far as I could tell, and like liked music that seemed interesting, and because I think at that point I was starting to get a little bit bored of you know Jack Johnson, and um, and so I don't know, indie rock kind of appealed to me, and and uh, that's kind of how it evolved. Into like that. who? Like what kind of bands? Um, I mean the the I well I, I specifically remember like once I was like very much into. In, I mean I guess to start off it was like. You know, like bands like The Strokes, um, Sufjan Stevens, uh, Mute Math. Um, uh, yeah. It's like Mates of State or something. Yeah, ma mates, of, mates of State. Um, like, the for me, I mean, for me, like, the weirder that it was, the, the better. Um, but I I remember when, when, the, when I first heard... Um, the, somebody told me, is that what that song's called? I remember initially liking it, but also being like, wait, can I, am I allowed to like this? Like, is this indie or is this like mainstream? Because I heard it on the radio and, and you know. Um, and so I was like, I didn't know if I was like allowed to to like it and embrace it in my like newly new indie. You might get kicked out of the club. Yeah, I just might not, because I mean, I, I had to like, for sure, like, of, like, Jason Mraz and, you know, like, those guys. So I just didn't know if, like, I was allowed to like the Killers at that point. But uh, I think eventually I landed on, I, I was allowed to like them. So when do you figure out that the Killers have Nephi ties? Uh, did you have any interactions with Brandon? Kind of, you said that you spent a little overlap there. Yeah, we were best friends. Um, just like everybody else. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't remember him at all. Um, I'm. I, I just. I remember hearing about him from. I think you guys. You know, like when the Killers just kind of first started to appear, and like I think by that point, you know, we weren't hanging out much anymore. But I think like still see each other from time to time. But I'm. I feel pretty certain that that you know I would have heard about Brandon Flowers being from Nephi from from you guys. Cause you, uh, here's a breaking breaking news for the listeners. They're gonna love this. You worked at Taco Time in Nephi in high school. I did Brandon worked at Taco Time in Nephi in high school? Do you know what years? I don't know the years. He moved when he was sixteen, so we were fifteen. You probably weren't even oh, working. Okay. So he probably yeah. didn't. He obviously didn't overlap. I inherited his legacy, I guess. So, do you have any stories or memories of Taco Time? <laughs> yeah, that that place was. Absurd. Uh, there are uh, there are people that make pilgrimages 
to go eat at Taco Time in Nephi because Brandon worked there. Well, the cool thing about Taco Time in Nephi is that, I mean, when I worked, so I was 16 when I worked there, and uh, after, typically after 5 p.m., it was entirely run by children. Like, there were no, there was no one over 17 working there, which... That doesn't seem legal, but I don't know. But which just meant that, like, we kind of just did whatever we like, whatever we wanted. Um, I mean, all of my friends knew that it was free for all. <laughs> they came over; they could make them anything that they wanted. I used to connect a portable CD player into the like the overall, I don't know, the sound system. After I was felt fairly certain adults wouldn't come, or weren't weren't going to be there anymore, and you know, would be playing things like Dead Kennedys and just like some of the like worst, most grating, you know, old school punk and um, kind of just to see if anybody would ever say anything. And no one, weirdly, nobody ever did. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a formative time in my life. Uh, we used to make what we called anarchy beans which were just basically we just draw an anarchy sign into beans um <laughs> so stupid anarchy in the uk oh gosh <laughs> but uh yeah just a lot of eating and binging on choco tacos and making heart attack um heart attack burritos which consisted of uh a deep fried chicken patty on a big tortilla full of cheese wrapped up deep fried and then wrapped up again in another tortilla full of <laughs> cheese and then deep fried again. Um, yeah. I'm glad you're still with us. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> so when we first got talking and messaging each other after Pressure Machine came out, one of the things you told me is the Pressure Machine made you nostalgic for Nephi in the first time, or basically yeah. made you nostalgic for Nephi. Uh, I think from the story, you kind of get the sense that it wasn't your place. You got away from it, go to find yourself, or, or move on to greener pastures or whatever. But uh, what about that happened? When did you first hear Pressure Machine? And what parts of it made you nostalgic? So I would say, like, I listened to, you know, those first couple albums I didn't listen to them a ton, but enough that I'm like pretty familiar with. I listened to Hot Fuss probably the most. And I listened to Samstown quite a bit, and then just kind of didn't, you know, I forgot about anything in between. Um, and but listened to Pressure Machine because like your podcast popped up in my Facebook feed, I think, and uh, <laughs> and so listened to it on the way to to work one day, and. I mean, first of all, I was just struck by how incredibly different it sounds than those those other those other two albums. I don't know what anything in between that sounds like, but but like the particularly the the I mean, I, I feel like I resonate with that first song not because I got super into opioids, but more more because like in like around 2010 was kind of when I was uh, well around 2000. Nine, ten. I was like really questioning the church and my membership in the church, and um, so it was. It was in those like years following that 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 I was, you know, I ended up leaving, and that was a pretty, 
a pretty harrowing experience in a lot of ways, just especially with, with my family, um, you know, feeling like a constant disappointment and, um, you know, experiencing a lot of guilt. Like it was really difficult between my dad and I for, for a few years. Um, cause he just had a hard time accepting it and not trying to like reconvert me. <laughs> and, and so like, I guess that, you know, some of those lines in that first song, just about whoever the story is about, like, you know, skipping out to find spirituality, like out in the hills and mountains resonated with me. And the, you know, the, there's the lines about, you know, like when I die, he'll know my heart. Yeah. yeah he won't, won't like the things that I've done, but he'll know my heart. And, and I, I mean, I don't totally identify with that because like, I feel like I've done a lot of good things and, and I, you know, I think God would appreciate some of those things, but, um, but more just, I, I remember making almost like a very similar argument, you know, to my father being like, look, I'm not that worried about whether there is or isn't a God, because I feel pretty confident that, you know, if there is one that I've, I've conducted myself in a way and I've, and I've tried to be true to like my authentic self by following my heart and doing what I feel is right and authentic for me. And if I'm wrong and there is one, then I feel like he'll, he'll, he'll understand where I was coming from. And, you know, he'll know that I wasn't just like, I didn't just like want to get drunk and not go to church. <laughs> like, <laughs> like everybody kind of thinks, um, or how leaving the church often gets, you know, oversimplified. Um, so there was that piece, but then like, you know, the, the immediate following song, um, uh, quiet town, it was that one that like, just kind of really kind of kicked up that nostalgia that I have never really felt. And, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of it's just because the way that he talks about the town and, um, you know, the people it, I just was thinking of like my parents and, uh, you know, like my dad's just like salt of the land, you know? And like, he was a dude that always, um, wanted to help. I mean, you know, just endlessly like volunteered us for <laughs> Saturday morning <laughs> service projects and, but you know, always, he was always willing to help, help the people around him. And so it just, even though, you know, my father is a Nephite transplant, like that song felt like it very much embodied, you know, him. And, and I, th I think that was kind of where the like nostalgia piece came from that, even though like our relationship was hard for a while, a lot of things that he did and said were really hurtful to me that he was actually coming from, you know, like a place of love, even though like that was hard for me to accept at the time. And, you know, just because someone com is coming from a place of love doesn't mean like, they're not hurting someone, but ultimately he was. And, uh, and so, you know, that, I guess that song just made me think about him a lot. And I guess the other piece that I think of, or I guess the other song that stands out to me a lot is Terrible Thing. Yeah, that that one kind of struck uh, like a little bit of a guilty chord for me, just because, you know, as over the last few years, as we've had a handful of friends come out, you know, I've, I mean, I've felt compelled to like reach out to them and apologize for 
you know, things that I know that, that I said that were awful and hurtful. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm sh I, I did, I did listen to the, the episode, um, where you guys interviewed Kyle. Um, but you know, just thinking about how like freely just threw around the F slur and, uh, and, and it turned out, you know, we had two of our close friends who, you know, were in the closet and just how, how hurtful that, that had to have been for them. Um, you know, to hear like their best friends talking about like fundamental, like a fundamental part of who they are in such a, just a disgusted and hateful and derogatory way. But, but in particular, like I think back to, um, I don't know, I'll throw this name out there just so you have context um, and you can, okay. you can cut it out later if you want to. But I just remember like being such a monster to that guy. And, and, you know, I mean, it was, I, th I think, you know, it was one of those things where I, I think like any kid in, in grade school, you know, you get made fun of, you're trying to just deflect. Yeah. Deflect <laughs> or, you know, I don't know. Focus just, on somebody else. Instead yeah. Of me. Not, not be the focus of, you know, get made fun of. And he was an easy target. And, um, but you know, I, I just, you know, sometimes think back and wonder like what, what happened to that guy? And, you know, was he ever, um, you know, on the verge of a terrible thing? Sorry, I've got a little dark. That's uh, fine. I mean, I don't think any of us are really proud of some of the things we've, we said or, or did. I don't think any of it was hateful. I don't think we were out to you know, torment, I, personally, I don't feel like us and our group of friends were out to torment kids or, you know, uh, we knew they were homosexual or whatever and we were going to expose them or anything like that. I think uh, part of it was just the culture of the town, of the surroundings at the time. Some of it was just culture at the time. I mean, sure. you know, calling somebody gay wasn't wasn't offensive. It was just what, I mean, it was in movies, it was in TV, it was all right. over the place. Not, <clears throat> not saying it was right, but... Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, and, you know, I've... Like, I don't, I don't dwell on that in the sense that, you know, I beat myself up over it because, again, like, you can't be blamed for the culture that you were raised in and, um, and for, you know, how you acted when you were a teenager with a, you know, not fully formed <laughs> brain. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, I don't, but, but when I, if I, think too hard on it. It's just, it's just like a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a regret that I have. And, and that song just kind of brings that up for me a little bit. And I hope that, that in Nephi, I was going to say if there are gay kids, but <laughs> obviously there are probably lots of gay kids in Nephi. And, you know, I just, I hope that, that they don't feel as scared to, to come out of the closet um, as what I think you know, our contemporaries felt. What advice would 40-year-old Andrew give to teenage Andy about treating people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, just, just be nice. I mean, I don't know. One of the things I, that struck me, I mean, that I still think about from time to time as I work with teenagers now, because, you know, I've 
I've been a teacher and I'm currently a therapist to at-risk youth and God, kids are just so awful to each other. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I mean, I think in, in our particular program, it's, you know, there's less of that just because, you know, we're pretty on top of like bullying and, and getting, you know, stopping it, but it still happens to an extent. And, um, you know, I just want to communicate to kids like this, like things just, they change so much as soon as you're not in high school anymore. Like as soon as you're in college, like nobody cares like who you hang out with or like what you like. I mean, nobody it just doesn't seem like people like make fun of other people for the fun of it. <laughs> and so I would, you know, I would just tell little Andy, like, just be nice to people because, uh, I don't know. It's not worth, it's not worth whatever, laughs or entertainment you get um the possibility that you know what you've said or what you've done is gonna bring someone to be on the verge of a terrible thing did you go back and watch the notes from a quiet town documentary i did um <laughs> well i have a lot of thoughts about that but the first I, I just, like, I wanted it to be more than what it was. I guess, like, I, I wish that they'd have maybe just interviewed more people. Because um, I think, like, one of the things I do love about the album is, like, those little, you know, what you, what, what would you call those little things? Interstitials, they call them. Interstitials. That's the official new word for me. You know, I like, I think I, I like those a lot. And, you know, I kind of wish that they would have, I mean, I know they, there were a couple of moments that they were, you know, they were interviewing some of those people, but I just think there's a lot of interesting, interesting people that they probably interviewed, and I, I just wish there would have been a little bit more of that. I think the thing that weirded me out the most was the Bathing Beauty Parade. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, like, it's... Still going on. <laughs> oh, man, it's always been, like, I, I mean, it's something that I've, I've probably rarely even think about, but every once in a while I'll be like, Oh yeah, like the, the town that I grew up in, like listen to this thing that they do, um, or at least they used to do. But now I know that they still do. They don't do the parade anymore. It's just a pageant. Let's <sighs> clean it up it's a little better, I guess. But I just, I won't, I won't say too much about it. But it just made me, especially, particularly because I I've been working with high school kids largely girls for the last you know 12 years of my life and it's just gross to me i hate i hate the idea of like adults just watching kids walk around on stage in bathing suits it's just very strange to me <laughs> and but i you know i i always thought it was like really funny as like a teenager even like an early 20s person but just feels different when you are the age of the like you know you're the age of the people watching it or going to it and I just can't imagine going to that and feeling and not feeling weird but I want to give people the benefit of the doubt and <laughs> that it really is about scholarships and and whatever but I don't know. I'm just not a fan of that practice. So there's a there's a part in there where they show the rope swing out in Mona, bursting oh, yeah. spawns. Yeah. And that was my main reason for wanting you to watch it, because uh, 
And you love that rope swing? I did love that rope swing, and it got progressively more dangerous over the years. Um, I mean, its its greatest iteration was, you know, like right around when we were in high school and it had that kind of perfect branch over the water with the, you know, the bridge built between the other branches so you could... You know, you could always, like, you weren't ever over ground when you were swinging. <laughs> like, you were always over water, and uh, there was never any danger of, like, actually swinging back and hitting the tree just because of, like, the angles. Um, and now it's it just seems like a total death trap because, I mean, I have been there since you have to, like, swing over the earth <laughs> before getting out of the water. Um, but, yeah, it's been... I don't know, it's probably been about 10 years since I've been on that swing. But for, I mean, up until I think 2010 or 11, for about three years, uh, I would take a group of people down there on my birthday. So we started calling it the, uh, the, my, the annual mass baptism, because the first year that I convinced a bunch of friends to go there, these were all Provo friends, Across the across the pond, there were a whole bunch of Latino people that were having like a mass baptism, and and so like we just kind of joked about like you know it's just it's, next year we'll have another mass baptism, and so for the next you know my next birthday, you know my Facebook invite was you know come to <laughs> Andrew's you know birthday mass baptism. And when we got there, there was another mass baptism happening, like, <laughs> two years in a row. Remember, I got there, like, we're joking about it the whole way, and my friend's like, he's like, Have, like, can you believe it? I was like, believe what? He's like, like, points over across the pond, and, like, there's a whole, like, another mass baptism happening. It felt like the greatest miracle of all time. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. In that video uh, documentary, uh, besides Bathing Beauty, did anything else stick out to you as far as memories or anything oh, the uh, the old gym where he plays the well, the terrible. terrible yeah the terrible thing song yeah that that hit me with a flood of weird feelings because uh, so right when I moved to Nephi they were still like I don't know if it was like once a week or a couple of times a week it was kind of like Nephi's version of classic skating <laughs> uh, and and you know I was you know, when I was, I don't know, from like probably 10 to, well, about till I moved to Nephi, I was, you know, like pretty big into rollerblading um, until my my Orem friends got into skateboarding and then rollerblading was not cool anymore. But as you can tell, I've struggled to not care what other, <laughs> what other people thought was cool during lots of portions of my life. And I, and I loved, you know, I loved being able to, show off my skating skills because you know i could like skate backwards and like weave my legs uh, i don't remember what you call it but yeah i felt like pretty cool and confident in my rollerblades yeah that was probably the most nostalgic piece from that because i i mean that's something i haven't thought about in 20 years nrp and the rubber plant is touched on touched in the documentary and in the in the album your dad owns was, a metal foundry. I was a little disappointed that uh, they didn't feature Horizon Metals in in this documentary. It was like almost right next door, right? Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it's kind of the same class. I mean, it's a blue collar, yeah. hard work, industrial, work, yeah. industrial totally. uh, type type thing. You you spent some time there. 
Uh, the family still owns it. Yeah, I, I mean, I worked there a lot in in high school, as did like half of our friends. I mean, I feel like most of our friends at some point toiled at the foundry. But yeah, so my you still smell it on me. <laughs> no, that, it's a it's a smell like nothing like nothing else. Um, but I so my brother became the heir apparent of of Horizon Metals Inc. and yeah, I mean, I def like in the lines in that song. I I think it's definitely like a similar, um, like a similar type of job to NRP. I just thought it was kind of similar, uh, similar similar area of town, probably similar uh, type people. I remember Brandon's exact quote about some of these people were like, yeah, just kind of the the, the misfits that might not fit in. Uh, you probably didn't see them in church on Sundays, but still, you know, the good people that uh, help the city grow and prosper. Yeah, I mean, th thinking, I guess thinking back to the times that I worked there, I feel like most of the most of the people that worked there weren't like weren't members of the church, and and I don't know, I I mean that probably in part influenced you know just some of my at least teenage views about you know like being a faithful member of the church equals prosperity <laughs> and. <laughs> If you're not prosperous, or if you're not going to church, then you're probably not going to be prosperous. <laughs> or, I mean, prosperous, that's maybe an unfair term, but, you know, you're... It's a term from the album. Yeah, well, you're, 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 you're going to... Prosper in this land. Yeah, you're going to have a harder, I guess, a harder job. Um, so you've talked about, and when we talked before, kind of feeling like you were a little judgmental, maybe growing up uh, with some religious ties there. You've talked about leaving the church and feeling that judgment come back around towards you a little bit. Throughout the album, there's kind of that feel of they're good people, but there's also this judgmental cloud that comes of people have different beliefs or that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on and come in and talk to us is because uh, you've, you've seen both sides of the coin. You've been on both sides of the coin. Uh, you were a faithful member, went out, went on a mission, uh, very religious. I remember you were very religious at a time. Uh, and then Pharisaic, we might say. And, and now uh, that's not your thing so much, and that's fine. With the album, with people listening to the album, with people trying to live in a small town where they might feel how you felt on both sides, again, I guess let's give some advice to people on, from your perspective now, what are things that both sides can do to have better interactions with each other? Because I don't think anybody wants to have negative feelings towards you know, the other side. Sure. There are lots of different phases, you know, they're part of, of leaving something that, you know, you, your life was built around um, for 20 plus years. And, you know, it's, I mean, there's, it's definitely a grieving process, you know, not, not just because, you know, of whatever family fallout or friendship fallout might happen, but also, you know, going from being so incredibly certain about how the world works and, you know, what, what life is supposed to mean to kind of having all that suddenly, you know, evaporate and you don't, you're no longer certain like you were. There's a grief piece to that. <sighs> you know, I, I grew up, again, in a, in a family that, you know, at least my immediate family was incredibly faithful and, but, you know, I remember having like, you know, a couple of cousins who, 
fell away um, or just started kind of getting in some trouble, which was usually equated with falling away. And I just remember how, like, we talked about them as a family, you know, just, like, with uh, just a lot of disappointment and sometimes, like, open disdain. Because, you know, it was almost like, you know, every, everyone's everyone's had an experience where someone they knew had an opportunity you know to whether whether it was like something that they were doing really well or really involved in that they suddenly like just blew off or I don't know that's a that's a stupid example but basically everybody knows knows someone who has made what seems like an objectively clearly stupid decision um like where they've you know they've had they've had something great and they've they've squandered that thing or they've thrown that thing away and and that's i think like that's what it f- often felt like i mean i remember feeling that towards people who i knew like had gone inactive or who were leaving the church that's like like what are you doing like you have like the greatest thing ever and you have this like truth and this like perfect life path and you're like gonna throw that away because you know like you don't want to pay tithing or like going to church is too hard and so you know i just remember talking about like inactive people in in that way and just how oversimplified that is i mean like i'm sure there are probably some people who leave because like "Eh, church is boring or it's like hard or like you know i don't like tithing but honestly it it just felt always felt so insulting hearing like I, I remember someone close to me at one point saying like I don't even know how I would be if I didn't have the church in my life like like I might be like a murderer or something and I'm just like what like like the only thing that's standing in the way of you and murder is 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 the church like that's alarming to me <laughs> um but it's just, you know, those, like, really simplified views that, you know, oh, this was just, like, an easy thing for you to walk away from. It wasn't easy. I mean, it was it was a years-long process where, you know, I did lots of reading, lots of praying, lots of thinking, lots of crying, lots of feeling like a horrible, disgusting person, and to eventually arrive at the conclusion that I did. And and so I, I guess, number one, I think people on the other side who you know are faithful and and have people that they love leaving you know there's there's something that I tell parents of kids that I work with who are LGBTQ who are having a hard time with it as parents sometimes do basically what I tell them is that like there's nothing that you can do or not do to ultimately determine whether your kid is gay or whether your kid is, is trans. Like, if they are, they are. And there's, like, no amount of, like, you supporting them in their gender or sexual exploration isn't going to turn your kid gay or isn't going to turn your kid trans. Like, if they are, then they are. Um, the only thing you have control over is the relationship that you have with your kid and whether your kid feels loved and, and safe and... <laughs> And suicidal or not, um, those are those are the only variables you have any control over. So, you know, even if even if you don't believe that your kid is gay or trans or you don't want them to be, you're not you're not going to influence that. But you are going to influence whether they want to be alive, whether they are 
close and connected to you and, and feel loved by you, how they feel about themselves, like that is something that you do have power over. Um, and I think that, I think that with, with the church, at least in my experience, like there's nothing my parents or anyone else could have done to influence, like whether I, as an adult human believed or didn't believe in the church, like one of the first things I told my parents was that like this, like this isn't your fault. Um, like you, I mean, you guys were like, we were like the poster family for the Mormon ads, you know, but you know, like they, they, they did all the things right. And, and so, you know, I, I, I wanted them to understand that like, there's nothing that they could have done to prevent this. Like, this is where I was going to arrive at some point. And, you know, it would be like if they blamed themselves for me, not that I want to conflate leaving the church with brain cancer, but if like I got brain cancer and you know, my mom was like, well, what could I have done differently? Like, there's nothing. Like, it's just a thing that happened. And so, you know, don't don't blame yourselves. But just how much easier that whole transition could have been for me if, you know, if like my father in particular had been able to accept it, you know, without trying to change my mind for years. Um, cause it was just hurtful every time that happened and it, it estranged our relationship. And now, you know, we've, we have a beautiful relationship and, you know, I, he has gotten to a place where even though it's, I think it's still like on a fundamental core level, it's still like, it's still hurtful to him. He doesn't let that get in the way of, of our relationship. So there's that piece for people on that side. On this side, one of the things that, that, that helped kind of fix things between like me and my dad in terms of, of our relationship was that, you know, I also had to get to a place where I could, I could understand that, that he was genuinely coming from a place of, of fear, uh, of, you know, fear that I'm the one person in the family that, that he doesn't get, he's not going to get to see again after, you know, after this life. And that, that's a devastating, incredibly difficult thing for any person to, to have to go through. So like his, his sense of, you know, his sense of loss and his grief is every bit as real and as valid as, you know, all the feelings that, that I had. And, you know, when I, when I tried to approach it that way, it just, it helped me kind of reframe a lot of my bitterness and anger that, you know, this isn't, instead of, instead of having the narrative, like dad's rejecting me because I'm not good enough or because, you know, because, you know, because I'm leaving the church, it's no dad is grieving and hurting and, and he's scared of, of losing, you know, his child forever. That doesn't make, doesn't make like some of his, you know, reactions or responses feel good, but it definitely, they hurt way less than than feeling rejected, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, if you are in the process of leaving and, uh, or have left, you know, I, I do think it is important to recognize that, that there is a grieving process for, you know, for family and friends who, you know, who are still, still believers. And that when people are grieving, especially when it's something that they feel like they can fix, they're probably not going to make 
all the best choices in terms of like how to make you feel validated in you know in your choices. I mean, it's just a, it's an interesting perspective because a lot of us, uh, like like you say, and especially where we grew up and what we grew up around, are either really strong one way or the other. And uh, I think it's interesting that you have both per- perspectives. You're not alone in that, but uh, you've been kind of vocal. Um, you like to write uh, sometimes. There's rants that appear on Facebook or whatever. People will ask me how you're doing, like I've talked to you in the last 20 years, and if everything's all right, and I'm I'm sure it is, but uh, it's just kind of interesting to see both sides of the coin. Yeah, I guess the the other piece I would maybe maybe just add is, you know, for, for, you know, people who are leaving or have left, it's pretty easy to get real consumed by your frustration with the institution and to kind of make it a big part of your identity to just rail against it. And I mean, I say that with caution because I think that it's important for institutions to be criticized and to be, you know, accountable. Like if, I mean, if they're doing questionable or problematic things or things that feel unethical you know i'm not saying like don't don't point those things out or talk about those things but you know it's it is important to bear in mind that you know it is something that is deeply important to people that you love and you know recognize that it's reasonable that just like if your family or friends or whatever are saying things that that feel harshly judgmental towards you related to you leaving just like that you know it doesn't feel cool it also is probably going to impact your family and friends when you if you're mercilessly (laughs) disparaging a thing that's deeply important important to them and i realize like this this probably sounds like a hypocritical thing coming (laughs) coming from my mouth because i know that i've you know i've i've had some fairly bitter phases (laughs) In terms of uh, in terms of the church, but I am trying to move past that, and and I mean I think in a lot of ways that I have, but I don't know. It just it, it's it's easy to obsessively, like it's not hard to rant about it. Well, yeah, it was something that was very important to to you for for a long time, and so to feel uh, those feelings uh, that came out, there would be uh, there would be a lot of things to sort out, some anger, some frustration. And then, yeah, you have people involved with it trying to tell you another way. And just uh, that's, I think, why wars and, and things start when you get religion involved. People are very passionate about uh, uh, those subjects. So, are indeed. <laughs> yeah, I can see how, sorry, I can see how that would be, you know, part of the process you explained of grieving and other emotions that, you know, just processing your persp- change in perspective could, airing of grievances could easily be part of that. Yeah, I mean, anger, anger is one of the, one of the, Parts of the grief cycle. That's one thing I think with the the Pressure Machine album that Brandon somehow straddles both sides pretty fairly. I mean, he talks about the believing members and uh, you know mansions in the sky, but then there's also when he looks up, all he sees is the sky. I'm not going to start singing here, but I, I think I wish uh, you would uh, yeah, that'd be a lot, a lot more entertaining. I'm sure people would just tune in by the droves. But I think he does a fair, a really good actually way of representing. The town, the culture, believers, non-believers, people that 
participate in the bathing beauty and think it's the greatest thing ever, <laughs> and the people that just think, what are we doing here? You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm biased to the album. Um, obviously, we got the podcast, but I just am kind of amazed at how Brandon does all that and keeps both sides happy and still has his own spirituality and, and uh, you know, religion and all that. Yeah, I've, I found myself wondering, you know, as I listened to it, like, what his status with the church was just because you know i guess one interesting thing to me about i don't know if this is my perception because you know i'm a little bit removed from from the church and pretty much anyone that i i do spend any kind of time around that is that are you know who who are still members are my family and then pretty liberally minded Mormons who, you know, like, they don't care if you're having a drink around them or, you know, like, they'll come to, a, you know, a, like a dinner get-together where there's, like, alcohol or, and not seem, like, deeply uncomfortable as I would have been uh, in the past. But, but I, so I just, I wonder, like, some of the, some of the things that he kind of says are things that feel like would have been hard for, you know, like, I can't imagine myself that, having been even remotely critical, you know, if I go back to my, like, early 20s, teenage years. And so, I mean, the last thing that I knew is, you know, that he was, like, in the, like, I'm a Mormon ads. But I don't know. What is, do you, do you guys know? Uh, as far as we know, he's still active member in Park City. Says you can catch him at the, at the ward if you're up there, so... Mm. That's the last we've heard, I think. I think maybe, like, the, you know, what you say about how, you know, kind of evenly or how well he, like, straddles kind of both sides. I think that's maybe how I kind of think of it or try to think of the church. And and that kind of lines up with, with you know, how that's talked about in the album in the sense that, you know, going back to, like, the Quiet Town song, like, it's, like, the church is full of like really, really wonderful, wonderful people. And there are also aspects of, you know, like the institution itself that, you know, for me are deeply problematic. And, you know, the culture that's that's in, in a lot of cases, if not built around, you know, the teachings of that institution is very much influenced by it, that are also really, really problematic. So and I guess maybe that's how I try to kind of, you know, approach like the people in my life that I care about who, who are members is that, you know, like I don't have to I don't have to love the institution that they're part of, but I can love them and and there are a lot of things that are wonderful about them because of that institution that, you know, I mean, a lot of the good in me is a direct result of my parents of you know how my like how my dad lived how my mom lived and and a lot of that good in them you know has its has its origins in in the church and so you know i there are a lot of things that i you know I, that i can attribute like that are good in me to the church and you know just like in your last episode you know talking about the two-star town <laughs> <laughs> situation you know i i like nephi was a pretty formative experience for me i mean it's you know like your your high school years are 
pretty important. <laughs> um, and, you know, some of them, like, some of them weren't terribly enjoyable, and, and a lot of things about the town had a very two-star feel to it, but at the same time, you know, like, if I, if I think back to my time there, you know, my senior year with you guys, and, I mean, that was, like, one of the f most fun, I mean, it was definitely, like, my best year up until that point in my life. It was part of your, your experience, and, I mean, you haven't lived in Nephi for a long time, but you have lived in Utah. As, as you went through that transition phase of your life, did you ever think about leaving Utah just to get further away from, I guess, maybe those roots or that influence? I've, I mean, I've thought about it, honestly, more than anything, like, I'm just not a big fan of the politics of our state, <laughs> and, you know, wouldn't hate to leave for that reason, but, you know, I don't know, like, I love Salt Lake City, and, you know, I've, I've built, uh, you know, I've built a group of friends over the last 12 or 13 years that, you know, in a lot of ways feel like family, and would be really difficult to leave, and also the geography of Utah feels difficult to leave but I don't know I at, at the time when actually during the process of leaving and the first few years after that I think leaving would have actually been harder like leaving the state would have been harder because you know you you can't relate to leaving something like that if you haven't left something like that and you know I just ended up with you know you you, you kind of find people <laughs> who have experienced similar things and you know I just had had various friends who were kind of in similar stages of leaving or you know a little bit ahead of me when I was first leaving that was pretty important in terms of like just feeling supported through that and like feeling like other people could relate to you know the again like the very real grief process of of leaving that so I don't know I think being here was helpful but you know, that probably would have been different if I was, like, living in Nephi or, you know, Orem. I mean, just someplace that where it's, you know, there's just a lot of, like, ex-Mormons ex in Salt Lake City. I mean, I guess they're everywhere, but, yeah, I don't think I ever would have thought of leaving for that reason. And at this point, like, I don't feel like I need to escape Mormonism. I mean, again, it's more like, would mind different politics. Well, they should have known when you were making Anarchy Beans <laughs> that you might not be a fan of establishments or maybe certain organizations. There's always signs, Andy. There, that the was, signs in the beans. That was the first. The first sign was was written in the beans. I have a question for you. It's a little lighter. We did it pretty heavy. This is probably our maybe heaviest and deepest we've got, especially some of these topics. So appreciate you coming and talking with us, yeah. taking time out, coming down, going back to music again. Uh, Ronnie Venucci was in a band called Attaboy Skip. <laughs> it's a very ska kind of sounding band. Have you ever heard Attaboy Skip or anything? That, when I, whenever I hear anything like that, it takes me back to uh, senior year in high school and, and Andy Fish driving around listening to uh, Real Big Fish or something like that. So, um, I've not heard of my 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 boy Skip. Attaboy Skip. Attaboy Skip. Uh, no, I've not heard of Attaboy Skip. I thought you would. I thought you were probably there from day one and drove down to Vegas, saw all the shows. So You know, there are a lot of ska bands in the world. There's a lot of ska bands in Utah, or Utah Ties. Do you have any thoughts of why it was so popular in Utah? Or was that just everywhere, and I just thought it was Utah? I mean, you know, the I guess ska originated 
I assume it on the West Coast. I mean, because it kind of grew out of, I mean, it grew out of punk. And so, I mean, you know, Utah's sort of close to <laughs> California. <laughs> I don't know. I just, when I, sometimes when I think of ska, I just can't help but laugh about all the Christian ska bands that we got into <laughs> right before our missions. And how <laughs> just absurd some of those bands were. That's probably why, that's probably why I hate Christian rock. That's probably where it came from. Do you do you remember what, didn't didn't we go see Five Iron Frenzy together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some like Cavalry Church or something. Yep, yep. Anyways, yeah, not not familiar with Adam Boy Skip. Well, I don't um, think they made it big because he got poached by the Killers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any any topics? Anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to talk about that we didn't address yet? Um, the, the one last thing that um, I kind of loved about, you know, again, the whatever that word was that... Interstitials. Interstitials. And you you guys talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but uh, just the accent. I, <laughs> I, I, can, I can hear the Nephi in those interstitials so clearly. Well, it was funny because I... It, I was, you know, t- talking to my partner, you know, so she was listening to it with me um, the first time we listened to it. And I was like, oh, my God, I can just like they I can just hear Nephi so, so strongly. She's like, what are you talking about? Like, it just I don't it just sounds like people talking. I was like, no, no, no. But like there's just because like the, I feel like the Nephi, I mean, there, you know, there's some like, you know, I think some people definitely like lean a little bit more into the drawly southern nature but like the i feel like the people don't don't really like lean that way but it's just it's so like it's so clear to me and it's i think it's just a small town utah accent because like i pointed out this this, we have we used to have this pe teacher who was from uh duchene and she sounded kind of the same and and so i don't know it just was funny to me like i don't know it was like all almost a little bit nostalgic like just hearing that so you were a little older when you moved to nephi i i was younger jimmy's a lifer so they they respect and love him um (laughs) when you moved to nephi did you notice that was that something that you noticed or was it over time where you kind of thought oh there's a little dialect going on here i mean like we used we we like when we first moved there, we like the most pronounced thing to me was just people using was wrong. Was. Um, yeah, we just called them wasers, uh, and but that that was like that was the main thing that stood out to me was just you know was and and I think over time like you know there's there's a handful of words that you know that stand out that stand out to me like the way that people kind of like dialectically say them um, like set for like sit. And like you know, like rough, filled, like I don't know, like there's just a, a handful of words that I feel like now just like very much stand out to me. But I don't, I don't, I don't only remember recognizing like the incorrect usage of was. What about seen? We seen. Oh yes, yeah, seen. I just wish that there'd been like a kind of a T at the like seen, because I, I don't know. It's just disappointing that we seen it. Yeah, seen it. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask, after our, our introduction, or the way we started the interview, I wanted to hear your perspective on how we became friends. Because it's a big blur to me. Yeah, but so... But if it had that much of an influence, I wonder... 
yeah, what your perspective is. In Miss Miss Wallace's humanities class, um, we had to bring in like a, a excerpt from a song, or we could bring a music video that we felt like defined us. And I had this like videotape that I got from Hot Topic that had like a bunch of like punk rock music videos, and I played part of the video "Sticking in My My Eye" by No Effects. And remember afterwards, Adam came up to me. He was like, he's like, Hey, like that was like, who, who was that? Like, that was pretty cool. And, and like, that's how we started talking. And, um, <laughs> because I know it makes sense. Yeah. It's weird. But, um, so the way that I got in, you know, to this group is, uh, it was, oh, it was homecoming. And I, I don't remember how or why, but like, it might've been Mike Wood who was in my ward it's like maybe we got to talking or something and and he was like we're like a bunch of us are like doing the full all-day prom date thing together like you should come with us if you want and I was way out of my comfort zone because I mean I've always been like a little bit socially anxious going on a thing like that with you know 15 20 people that like I knew of but wasn't certainly wasn't friends with um was like way out of my comfort zone but yeah I did that and and then we just started hanging out I think it was it was either I feel like it was either Mike Durban or Mike Wood that that invited me to that because they were both in my war and they were both kind of like hanging out with you guys at that point and then the rest was uh, history as they say <laughs> it's crazy that it's hard to believe that it was just part of that last year it seems a lot seems longer than that. that. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, it wasn't even the full year. Like, it was, you know, I feel like it was homecoming. We ended up at, like, Trent's house afterwards, like, watching, like, watching a movie or something. But, yeah, I mean, it was, like, November or something. And, uh, I mean, it, that just is kind of, like, a perfect example of how time dilation works <laughs> and how, you know, like high school is an eternity so felt like years yeah that, i mean it that, was like six months yeah it was like six months and then well and then we had the, eternity, after, yeah. the eternity of everybody you know going on their missions and us not until a year later so you know we had a we had a it was a it was a five or six year long year and a half <laughs> packed, packed a lot of stuff into those into that year and a half well, do you have any social media or anything that you want to plug or people to follow or find you? Do you care? Do you want people to find you? Where do we send people when they say, where's Andy Fish? <laughs> uh, His name's Andrew. Get it right. Yeah, they can find me in Rose Park, and uh, that's about it. Yeah, I don't have social media that I care about in terms of people following me. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, uh, thanks. Yeah, it was fun to be here. This is Andrew, a.k.a. Andy Fish, former mentor, Taco Time mentor to Brandon Flowers. Wrapping up another fun time on Lonely Town podcast.